When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, that's uh, that's pretty bad. It's not totally bad because it's one of the best teams in the league. Maybe the hottest team in the league at this current moment. I think they've won like eight of their last nine or nine of their last ten. The Philadelphia 76ers defeat the Toronto Raptors 121 to 111. This uh, stream is brought to you by myself at my mom's house in front of the Christmas tree. We're here to talk hoops. I think that the Raptors did a lot of things well in this game. And I think that the 76ers did a lot of things better. And some of that comes down to shot making. Some of that comes down to star power. And when we're talking about a 76ers team that is going to get a massive night out of Tobias Harris and more of the usual, more of the stuff you might expect from guys like Tyrese Maxey, guys like Joel Embiid. Embiid, he doesn't even get to the line that much. Only eight attempts. He scores 31 points, 10 boards. Nine assists. That's pretty nuts. And, uh, <laughs> oh no, someone says Sastel's looking shaky. We might have to not do the, the stream. I might just have to record it by itself. Um, maybe that's what I end up doing. Uh, but anyway, so Tobias finishes with 33 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. And, uh, obviously, Maxi finishes with 33 points, 10 assists. That's a, that's a very, very impressive trio as far as like scoring, as far as what they're able to bring to the table, as far as playmaking. The Raptors actually in this game got out to a huge run. They were fantastic in doing so, applying pressure to the 76ers in the open court, um, largely done through Pascal Siakam, targeting mismatches, doing early work to beat bigs up the floor, and the Raptors by cheating the weak side constantly to make sure that Embiid is facing a ton of attention on the catch, to make sure that he's facing a ton of attention turning towards the lane and making sure that you're throwing the ball completely to the other side of the court so that guys like Marcus Morris, Kelly Oubre Jr. are going to play, you know, a lot more with the ball. Eventually, of course, the 76ers sorted that out by stacking Tobias Harris away from the actions, knowing that he could be the guy they go to. And same with Maxi on occasion, right? Because they have a ton of stuff they love to run, obviously through Embiid, but also relying on a decent amount of the Maxi and Embiid two-man game with all of the attention that Embiid was getting and the fact that the Raptors wanted to bring help from the opposite side of the court. What is the natural thing to do? That means you're guarding both Embiid and Maxi without giving much of anything. And if they stack Harris over there too, they're moving the ball on to weaker players. So they start moving the chess pieces around Nick Nurse. They they change the framework a little bit. And Bob's your uncle. They go for it. They start scoring. They get back into the game. And the Raptors, to their credit, I think did a decent job of facing one of the best defenses in all of the NBA and coming out of it with like 111 points in this game. 
just can't allow 121. That's maybe the most difficult aspect. You can't allow 121 in the NBA and make it like <laughs> you're just not going to win that many games unless you have a prodigious level of offense like the Indiana Pacers or something. But this team, they're very good. I know they traded away Harden. I know they didn't get that much back for him, and they certainly missed Batum off the start of this game. But the fact that they can just, in a pinch, go to Maxi in any number of roles as a pick-and-roll hub, as a zone buster, as an off-ball killer, it's just like, that's tough. He's fantastic. And as far as when we're talking about Embiid, Embiid, he didn't even need to get necessarily to the to the line in this game. He has turned the middle of the floor into efficient offense, not just because he gets to the line, but because he's one of the greatest shooting big men of all time. Maybe not from three. He's a good three-point shooter who can make it happen from there, but he's only taking like 3.3, 3.5 attempts per game. In this game, he hits one when they leave him open, but the big thing is that you have to throw a bunch of attention at him. If he wants to guarantee his own volume and his own usage, he's going to get a shot up from the mid-range. And he's fantastic in the mid-range. And that's largely the reason why Philly can play slower. And look at the half-court in this game. 115.6 per 100 half-court possessions. That is, those are massive numbers. Like, absolutely absurd. They didn't even get on the offensive glass like the Raptors did. And they outscored them. The Raptors, their points per play in the half-court, 92.4. Which is more or less what we've come to expect from them over the course of this season. I think they're regular on average through however many games, it's it's around 93. So we're getting roughly the average performance from the Raptors, maybe a little bit different as far as like, they've been trending upwards offensively in the half court lately, but you know, the defense has also been trending in a bad spot for the last however many games too. And Philly, I mean, when you have the star talent, when they play well off of each other, you can find counters to a lot of different things. And the Raptors had two really big stretches in this game where it worked defensively, and those stretches kept them in the game. So did their transition offense, where they played 22% of their possessions overall in transition. Part of that is Scotty really getting them going with his own rebounds, pushing up the court, getting them started early. Some of it is turnovers, sprinting out, going the other way. And the first thing was what I talked about, their success on offense, largely. Hey, we're going to overload the side. We're going to make Embiid see a lot of bodies. We're going to stunt. If we have to, we're going to double. He's not going to know necessarily what we're doing on a given possession. We're going to force him to pick up his dribble, and we're going to get put him in tough spots repeatedly. We want that ball to funnel elsewhere. That started them off in a great spot. The 76ers were really... They, they didn't want to move the ball off of Embiid, so they took a lot of time to try and initiate him in the low post. The Raptors overload. They hang a guy in the lane. They move Embiid up above the break to get him to initiate there. You look, there's like nine or eight seconds left on the shot clock. That's not good offense. So eventually they find something different. They start placing guys differently around the floor. They start to utilize more stuff away from Embiid and expect Embiid to find his own spots, which he certainly did. Certainly. And the Raptors, after that, they say, okay, what are we going to do now? So they go zone. And when they go zone, it's a zone that collapses on Embiid. It's a zone that doesn't want to collapse anywhere else. Embiid gets the ball in the middle. They bring a guy from one pass over. They expect to be able to 
recover out if he makes that read. They want to stunt again, make Embiid question where that coverage is coming from, where the rotations are coming from. And they did a good job. But of course, Embiid, he's not the best front court passer in the world. He's one of them, largely because of what he's able to do as a scorer. He can bend the defense to his will in a moment's notice. And when we think about how he playmakes, it's not so much that he's such a manipulator and he's seeing things that nobody else is seeing. It's mostly that he's bending the defense into a broken position. And when the Raptors were trying to stunt and just like throw a bunch of different coverages at him, he did a really good job of, if he wanted his own usage, putting a shot up. He's one of the best mid-range shooters ever. As crazy as, as that sounds, like Rip Hamilton is somebody who comes to mind. Surely, but Embiid, especially off the pull-up, especially for his size, is just one of the best to ever do it there. And he's very comfortable getting his own looks there. And there's a reason on a night where he only takes eight free throw attempts, he goes north of 30 again, which I think this is like his 13th game in a row going north of 30. He's averaging 35 on the season. He is immense. He is powerful. And you get more than 30 from Maxi and Harris as well. And... That I was wondering when the other shoe would drop as far as like the Raptors playing zone or the Raptors overloading. What are you expecting to win? Like what's the win condition there, right? The Raptors got it, a lot of it, against the Nuggets last game where they play aggressive on Jokic, the ball goes elsewhere. A guy like Jamal has a bad shooting night. A guy like MPJ has a bad shooting night. So the Raptors kind of are in that game longer. Why? Because they get to overload and guys miss jumpers. The bad news in this game, obviously, is if you look at the jumpers that were made, just look at Maxi, right? Maxi is four of ten from downtown. Harris is five of nine from downtown. That's even even Ubre going two for six. You're not going to survive that. We got heavy minutes from their starters. Maxi played almost 41. They knew that was a necessity. Harris almost plays 38. Nurse knew that was a necessity. Paul Reed with a quiet game, but filled the front court front court role that he needed to. And man. It's tough, really tough. It's uh, it's not something, it's not a lot of games you're going to win when guys shoot that well. Like 33 from Maxi, 31 from Embiid, 33 from Tobias Harris. And maybe most importantly is stacking that stuff on the secondary side with Harris. He gives you seven assists as well. Embiid gives you nine. Maxi gives you 10. That trio, so, so impressive in this game. Hard to handle, honestly. And the Raptors... I think given their defensive talent, they did a pretty good job. I thought that Darko's game plan worked quite well. I thought that the Raptors played a pretty good game. But the big thing is the Raptors need to play this type of game against worse teams. Because if Philly is going to get this type of jump shooting performance from their stars, they're going to beat because of their talent. They're going to beat your best punch. Like that's them's the breaks. The Raptors played in my mind, a really strong game from a game plan point of view. They made the 76ers go to so many different things. And them's the breaks, man. They start hitting shots. They shoot over the top of your defense. Tyrese Maxey sees a zone in front of him and hits from 28 feet. What is the alternative, right? What are you really trying to have happen? You're getting the, like, your defense is performing its intended function. They did what they needed to do. They need these types of performances consistently, effort-wise, against lesser teams. 
if they want to be a playoff team this year, if they want to do anything like that. Because this game, it wasn't so bad. It's just the 76ers are one of the best teams in the league. Joel Embiid is, in the regular season at the very least, the most powerful offensive engine in the NBA. He will break you. He will get what he wants. And if he doesn't get exactly what he wants, you will be bending yourself so out of shape to stop him from that that you allow everyone else on the team to get their game off. Ipso facto, that's what happened, 121 to 111. Um, maybe people would focus on Scotty Barnes in this game, a quiet game to some degree because he goes three for 11 from the field, but he also has 12 points, four blocks, a steal, eight assists, seven boards. We've obviously come to expect much better, uh, I guess, like scoring from Scotty so far this season. In this game, I thought that Scotty gave up a lot of attempts that normally would have been buckets for him to make sure that like, hey, there's an easier shot for someone here. Um, eight assists even in this game, I think comes in a little bit lower than what I might have expected with how often he pushed the ball, how often he was able to collapse the side to him to make a lay down to somebody in the paint and to allow the team to play, you know, open concept basketball because they get to play in space. And also, especially early on, like Pascal, Jakob, Scotty, and OG, they had a really strong start to the game. What worked? The interior passing. The, the 76ers, in the exact same way that the Raptors were, were collapsing their own weak side, bringing everybody over to really muck up and gum up every single strong side action. Most actions are strong side because that's where the ball is for, for what it's worth. But the Raptors have despite being a team that doesn't shoot a lick, they're still one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA, and that is focused clearly in their front court. They have probably the best passing front court in all of the NBA. And OG isn't really part of that. He had a couple nice laydowns in this game, but Pascal, Barnes, and Pirtle certainly are. There was a lot of like tiki-taka stuff going on. As they're moving, the ball is pinging back and forth between one another as they slowly march their way towards the rim. There's a finish layup for somebody. And they did a good job of finding those those scores for themselves. It's just in this game, like, Gary goes 5 for 8, but the team goes 9 for 33. That's, that's not really something you can stomach. Um, you shoot 27% from 3. The other team, they shoot 14 of 31 for 45%. You're... You're just losing too much at the three-point line. And while like Pascal did a great job of like punching gaps, working, and doing a fantastic job of getting into the paint, getting to the line, uh, it just wasn't efficient enough overall to hang with the 76ers. But that's kind of the thing. I know I get on here and I'm I'm more positive than most, and it might seem silly to say like I think they played a good game in this one, but they did. The 76ers are just a better team. And I wish that the Raptors played to this level that they did tonight more often so that you could easily say that the Raptors are a better team so that they don't split against Charlotte, right? That's obviously what, what it is. The Raptors need to be a team that beats the lesser teams if they want to get into position where they play playoff basketball. And if they don't, if they want to be a team that isn't in the playoff picture, which I don't know if there's like front office stuff, but obviously the players want to win every game. The players want to be in those positions to play on the biggest stage. Um, it's, it's tough, man. This is a team without 
a ton of potential going forward. This is a team without a ton of floor going forward, and they're a little bit confused about what they want to be doing. That's that's what it is. You know, people in the chat saying, like, don't sugarcoat it. I don't think I am. Just because I don't call people idiots or say, like, really mean things doesn't mean my how I'm, you know, diagnosing what's going wrong with the team isn't accurate. Like, before the season, the team is basically succeeding and failing at everything that I said they would. The team is a little bit worse record-wise. But, like, you know, listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying all the things they're bad at. I'm just not being, like, rude or an ass about it, I guess. Um, the team struggles doing a lot of things. In this game, though, they succeeded at a bunch of things. And when you can make Maxi and Harris and Embiid beat you with the jump shot, the live dribble jump shots, then you did what you needed to do. Like, the, the biggest problem is obviously, obviously, that there's a talent gap in this game. You know, OG3 says, isn't the defense worse than expected, though? After this game, I reckon the defense will probably be ranked 16th or 17th in the league, um, which is worse than expected, certainly. Uh, it's not these games that drive their defense down, of course. It's the games where they let, you know, like Charlotte, for example, score too often without LaMelo Ball. And um, yeah, Kickass Productions asks a little bit worse record-wise question mark. Yes, I didn't think that the Raptors would be a very good team this year. This is my perspective, not uh, necessarily your perspective. I don't know what you expected the Raptors to be, but Vegas had them at like, their over-under was what, 37 wins? Um, I did have a lot of people talk to me in the lead-up to this, you know, this season, saying they expected north of 45, around 50, and like triumphantly so, I was never there as far as like expectations for this team um on top of that though like yeah the defense has had a lot more trouble than they were supposed to my expectation was that the raptors floor defensively would be around 12th you know that that was what i said preseason and in this game i think that the raptors had the potential to if things break a little bit different as far as jump shooting maybe this game is a little bit better or something like that but that's what you want to do as a defense. Like, that's that's kind of the thing. In a game like this, you look at the talent on the other side of the floor. You look at what they do game to game. The 76ers are one of the best defenses in the league. The 76ers are one of the best offenses in the league. And the Raptors got the 76ers to change form. And the 76ers, true to form, are the better team. And they won while going to their counters. The Raptors played a lot of their A game. And they just they weren't able to do it against the 76ers. That's kind of the tough thing about this game. A anybody who's been watching the Raptors for a while knows what it looks like when a team is just better. The Raptors were the better team for like a decade than a lot of teams. Maybe not in the playoffs necessarily, but in the regular season, they won a lot of different ways. They beat a lot of different teams and they did it consistently for a decade. Everyone here should be well aware of what that looks like. And the 76ers have been a very good team for a very good time, or a very long time, sorry, and they're able to win. That momentum goes forward. That's, uh, that's kind of crazy. That's, that's what it is. That's how the NBA works. The better team wins more. Um, that's, that's just kind of how it breaks down.
And the Raptors are definitely not a better team than the 76ers. They're 0-3 against them. And the Raptors, like in this game, they shoot 27% and they lose from three. They had a game this season where they shot 53% from three and they lost against the 76ers. Why did they lose that game? Because of transition defense. That was largely why it happened. And so when you're facing a talent gap, when there's a team that's so much better, you can't miss on anything. Your margins are razor thin. And the better team, their margins are nice and fat. They can kind of like figure it out, mess around when their jump shooting talent doesn't hit the floor of like 27% necessarily. When their jumpers aren't going, they can really force themselves to the line. When that kind of stuff is happening, they're able to move the offense forward, do a fantastic job of it. They settle into a much more impressive defensive floor. They're able to get better defensive outcomes more often. Why? To some degree, because they have, you know, Joel Embiid, who helps a lot defensively. I like Jakob Pertl, but he is not as effective on defense as a Joel Embiid, obviously. And to their credit, their buy-in seems to be, to me, defensively, more impressive than the Raptors on a given game. Now, it's a lot easier to guard the Raptors in the half court than it is the 76ers because the Raptors needed to be like genius ball movers in the front court. And that's like, that's what it is to get around Embiid and the digs that are coming and the rotations into the paint. And that's what it was. And they couldn't do that all game. You can't do tiki-taka stuff in the paint all game and not turn the ball over and not eventually have to rely on shooting. And the Raptors tried to fall back onto that. And guess what? They just they couldn't do it. They're not a super good team this year. The 76ers are one of the best in the whole league. This is like, this is how most of these games are going to go. This is how they have gone. 0-3 against them. That's basketball, man. Anybody who is... Uh, Anybody who's watched the Raptors, you know what it looks like when there's a an asymmetrical relationship between your team and the rest of the league. The Raptors benefited from that asymmetry for years. Kyle Lowry led teams with DeMar DeRozan and then Kawhi Leonard and then Kyle plus Pascal when they had like the 60 win pace in the 2019-20 season. Other teams just couldn't hack it. And the Raptors found a bunch of different ways to win. This 76ers team, extremely good. The Raptors... They threw a bunch of different defensive looks at them. They did like a few different units to try and lean on different advantages. They got a lot of good minutes out of Yaka Pirtle, which hasn't been the case lately. They didn't hit threes in this game, but as far as other things they wanted to achieve defensively, it happened in this game. They played the defense that they wanted to do. Um, yeah. And their offense, did they hit their jumpers? Not really, but... It's a lot to ask a team to do everything that the Raptors did tonight, plus hit their jumpers. That's uh, that's just like the way it goes. It's uh, it's tough, man. The Raptors are not the better team, so you have to play way above your head, and the other team needs to do a way worse job of what they usually do to win. And uh, like Nesta says, two of seventeen from the starters from three. Yeah, man. You know, Scotty two of seven, Pascal zero for four, OG zero for four. Dennis 0 for 2, and Pascal now 1 of 9 over his last 9 three-point attempts after going, I think, 9 for 14, the 14 attempts before that. It's been, like, up and down totally. But another worrying thing, and I don't – it's worrying in the short term because you need good OG performances. 
But OG goes over four from three. He's been really bad from beyond the arc over the past however many games too. And uh, like that's tough. His his three point percentage has been descending for a little while now. And them's the breaks, you know. You can't guarantee good performances. You can't guarantee jump shot efficiency. Um, you can do your best to play a style of defense that helps you buffer against that, a style of offense that helps you buffer against that. That includes a bunch of paint touches, a bunch of finishes at the rim. And the Raptors did that for a healthy amount of this game. But that's kind of the thing. That's how this, this, that's how this breaks out. That's, you know, that's what it is. Um, Sophia Serrano says, Ime Odoka went to the Rockets because pseudo-moralists like our guy Sam and the fan base and media. That would be cool. If I had enough swing to make Ime Adoka make decisions that include millions of dollars um, based on what I'm going to say, you probably think I'm a rock star then if I have that much swing. Uh, I hope I'm that powerful someday. That would be that would be cool. I, I suspect Ime Adoka went to the Rockets because... Uh, he liked the city of Houston better, and he liked that roster better. And then uh, Fred Van Vliet joined. But the Rockets have been way better than expected this year, and, and largely because of their defense. It is my earnest hope that the Raptors, their defense can reach uh, the level of consistency and like buy-in that, uh, that the Raptors and the Rockets, like there's a disparity there. The Rockets have just, uh, yeah, James says less taxes as well. That better weather. Those things play a lot of a lot of parts for these guys. Um, it's a tough game, man. When you're playing some of the best teams in the league, you play these 76ers, you're not going to win a ton. For the Raptors, 0 for 3, you're not going to win any. Uh, Sophia, you say for me to calm down. If I don't seem like I have a calm demeanor, uh, my apologies. I don't think I seem big and uh, emotional about it. Just reading chat, as I do after every game, as you well know. This is a tough one. I wish Scotty would have hit him a couple more shots, but as I said at the start, we're looking at a team that needed his playmaking. We're looking at a team that needs his live dribble creation to get into the teeth of the defense to be able to lay down to other players. And when Embiid was being such an active help side guy, a lot of those, a lot of those shots that would have been his went to somebody else. Them's the breaks, man. Um, anything else? Schroeder, I thought had a lot of the ball in this game for stretches. And some of that makes sense. Like he's playing more with the Scotty plus bench lineups. He's playing more in some different, uh, I guess, different lineups than he's used to and, and playing away from Pascal a little bit more often. And on top of that, that means that he doesn't have the same like, okay, it didn't work this action. I'm going to move the ball on. And also the 76ers were really good at fighting against mismatches, whether it was, you know, Pascal or whether it was uh, Scotty, because the Raptors obviously do a, um, a pretty good job, usually, of using their screening actions to get a mismatch and then target that through a post-up or a bully drive. And the 76ers, whether it was like Daniel House or Tyrese Maxey, even Marcus Morris, who's giving up not the, the strength, he's not you know, weaker than those guys, but he's certainly slower. They did a really good job of competing against those switches and making sure that the same way the Raptors did a good job of making Embiid compete for space and kind of blocking up the lane for those post entries, the 76ers on the other side 
did a pretty good job of doing the same thing against Pascal and against Scotty. So one of the main forms of the Raptors creation, they were getting a lot of resistance on. And I think maybe they could have pushed through for that a little bit more often. There were some nice stretches that the Raptors had offensively because, for example, when Pascal got the ball on the block, what happened? Embiid doubled immediately. So the ball goes out. There's an open three. That's how a guy like Gary in this game hits five triples working off of doubles. Some of it's in transition. Some of it's broken play stuff, but largely being able to work against doubles, shape up to the double shape up to where the defense is helping from form up to it make sure you're in the right spot when your guy on ball has to make the read against the double and pascal making a lot of the right reads in this game that's uh that's what they went to it worked but then the 76ers are able to kind of like put a stop to that put a put a cap on it and uh work them into the back end of the shot clock so that when that ball comes out, the Raptors have less time to like side top side action, get it to the opposite side of the floor, less pump and go pump and probe stuff. They just, they had to put shots up earlier. They didn't get as many good ones. And that's kind of how it shakes out. 76ers played a good game and the Raptors played a good game for part of it, but they didn't play a perfect game. And to, you know, cover that talent gap, that disparity, you're going to need to play a really, really impressive one. Um, and yeah, back to the Dennis thing, just being forced to run a ton of pick and roll. A few of them went somewhere, like snaking into the middle of the lane, giving that little shovel pass to Pirtle. Pirtle was finishing everything inside, like, well, not everything. He shot 60%, which is as crazy as it sounds, is not as high as his field goal percentage on the season, I believe. But he finished with 19 points, which is his season high. He had 15 first half points, which was a season high. And he finishes with 19, eight and two. It was a good game for Jakob and the Raptors were able to utilize him early on. But as we mentioned, like the 76ers did a good job of taking away what worked for the, the Raptors early. And Pirtle was like when the 76ers were helping a ton on Scotty and Pascal, and especially from Pascal early on and, and OG, even on a couple drives, being able to lay down, um, shaping up to the drives, making sure you keep the passing window open, and then that quick, you know, little push shot, or just taking that step through, getting all the way to the rim. That was good. But the Raptors, they were seeing a lot more uh, resistance to their live dribble stuff in the second half and as the game went on. So they had to make more of those passes out on the perimeter to guys like Gary, to guys like Dennis. And Gary in this game, he just got shots up and did a fantastic job. Dennis in a game like this had trouble when the ball ended up in OG's hands on the perimeter. He had a couple good drives in this game, but if he goes 0 for 4 from 3, his offensive impact is going to be significantly muted, even with the five assists. You're going to have more assists when you drive it downhill more often, but those assists aren't necessarily going to be as valuable as if you just hit the three that fell into your lap. Um, Abre Los Ojos asks, thoughts on Anthony Simons? He's a hell of a scorer, man. Um, I know when you guys ask about players, it's because you're like, hey, how can we get those guys? Um, and I don't know what Portland's plans are for Simons. He has been reportedly in trade conversations for like years. And I don't know, like part of that was motivated because he wasn't necessarily a great fit next to Dame, two very small guards in their backcourt. And I know most teams don't view that as tenable or anything like that. And as far as... Um, 
as far as like Simons as a standalone. I don't know what the 76 or sorry, what the Blazers have in mind for him. But if there was a team that needed dynamism in their backcourt, it would be the Raptors. I think they probably have, man, maybe the worst backcourt in the NBA as far as like impact, as far as advantages created. Um, maybe not the worst defensive backcourt in the NBA, but it's also not been a top half defensive half court either. Offensively, it's been really difficult. On the aggregate, it's just not good. Like Jalen Suggs maybe has a little bit less offensive pop than Dennis Schroeder, but Jalen Suggs is a demon on defense, man, and he can make it work. This is how this stuff shakes out. The Raptors, they don't have enough punch in their backcourt to be competitive game in and game out to get constantly set into these good looks to provide enough punch at the point of attack defensively. And that doesn't mean it's Dennis's fault. Dennis is a mid-level exception guard. He's not supposed to change the Raptors fortunes. He's not supposed to turn them into, you know, a contender or a playoff team. They have to win where their strengths are, but they're being limited very much by their limitations. It's been tough, man. Um, Phoenix plays. E asks, what would be the historical Raptors squad to compare this current team to. I don't know, man. I think a lot of people have fun doing the 2013-14 iteration um, with Rudy Gay before they got traded. I think, like, I looked at that. I wrote a piece on that in the summer where I was looking at how the both teams were set up. And there are a ton of similarities, even in the way that a lot of contracts are structured. But the big difference, clearly, between that team and this team is the Raptors were sitting on a nice egg, heating it up that was about to be pop uh, Kyle Lowry all-NBA level impact for a decade. And then it was fantastic. Um, Dawson Ned says, this is worse than Miami Raptors. I think you probably mean Tampa Raptors. And they are worse statistically. Yeah, Tampa. Oops, yeah, you said. Um, they are worse statistically than that team, I think. Uh, they're definitely worse statistically than they were last year. A big part of that is the offense. I think they came out, as crazy as it sounds, they came out as the 12th ranked offense at the end of last season. Nuts. Absolutely crazy. And the defense underperformed. And the defense has underperformed so far this year. This has been a, a hapless. Oh, here we go. We'll get the feckless drop um, for the podcast. But the team has been feckless so far this season, which is really too bad. Aubrey Los Ojos asks, would people be upset if they traded picks for Laurie and Sexton? I guess it depends how many, because I think Laurie is like fantastic. I like Sexton more than consensus. I know some people who are still dead set on Sexton being able to turn into a star. I'm not sure if I'm there with Sexton, but I think Sexton is worth taking a flyer on. But the, the thing is that Laurie and Sexton, and especially Laurie, he's not like a, a take a flyer type of player. Laurie is going to, you know, he's going to return significant, a significant package. And uh, like Phoenix plays, he says Sexton still has upside. He certainly does. Um, it's not that long ago that he averaged, what, 23 points per game. It's it's a few years now, but he can definitely like get into the lane. He can turn a defense. There's some playmaking stuff that people are waiting on for better reads from him. They are definitely waiting on him being able to develop into more of a, you know, a floor raiser for others just by how he kind of sets up the framework of the offense. I don't know if he's a lead guard necessarily, but Sexton as a guy who gets the playoff of Scotty, I think would work quite well. I think that uh, he has a lot of potential still. OG3 says Sexton and Olenek or Olenek would be good flyers. I think Olenek has been over the past however many years, one of the most underrated frontcourt players in the NBA. 
he's just been playing good basketball for like a long time. And I know he disappointed, you know, at, at FIBA. I, I, well, I was pretty disappointed with his performances in the Raptor. Uh, sorry, Team Canada had a tough time needing him to be the best player in their front court. Obviously, Shea made everything, you know, tenable and much better. But uh, Olenek, I think, has been playing fantastic basketball for like any front court he was a part of over the past however many years. I'm pretty surprised that like contender hasn't taken a flyer on him in a little bit of time. That to me that that is surprising. And and yeah, I talked about Sexton. I think Sexton is pretty good. But them's the breaks, man. This the Raptors going into next season, they're gonna need a shakeup. I'm almost certain of it. Um, James asks, do you think Messiah and Ainge could ever get a trade done? No way. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's true. I know Ainge isn't considered that guy just because, um, and Daniel says you got to deal with Danny Ainge to be fair. I, I do think it is kind of funny that Masai took over from Ainge as like the gun shy, like always trading, but never trading GM. And I know technically Bobby Webster is the GM, but, uh, it is kind of funny that Masai took the reins from him on that. And they're both decision makers who want like steals of deals constantly and Ainge when he was working with the Celtics it became a meme that like the Celtics just couldn't get a trade done and then Brad Stevens has been able to complete you know a great many trades and quite a few of them have been working out well for the Celtics at this point you know especially the Derek White trade (sighs) Derek White is so good um speaking of GMs who do you think is a better GM between Presti and Stevens whoever wins the first championship you know like, I get Presty. I think it will be Presty if he can turn all those picks into a, a star. Like, if Presty can trade those picks for a star, then good. But the the amount of picks that they have, they're going to have to cut good players off of their squad because they just have too many picks and they have too much stuff going around. And as long as Presty doesn't let that amount of picks become... Like we have so many that they're starting to get devalued, then Presti is the better one. But he has to navigate that stuff because teams have to want to trade and do that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. And Aubrey Los Ojos says similarly, they both profited off of a less sophisticated era of GMing. Um, I think you're referring to uh, Ainge and uh, Masai. I think that's true. Phoenix Plays Z says eight first round picks for Joel Embiid. That uh, that would be pretty good. OG3 says, I don't know why we never tried to get Derek White in either of our Spurs trades when we desperately needed a guard and we're trying to win. Derek White has been a sick player for a long time. And uh, it's like he, he's made a lot of he's played fantastic basketball for a really, really long time. And um, Nesta asks, can Masai get some of the OKC assets this season? I've wondered about this for some time, actually. Um, I don't think OKC, I might have expected OKC in the past to have been like a Pascal trade partner, but Chet got so good so fast, SGA made the jump into MVP, that I wonder if they're looking less for offensive leadership, and they're looking more so for like that very strong wing, like OG Ananobi. The problem is that like when those GMs call each other, when those decision makers call each other, and one team says, hey, we're looking at OG Ananobi, and they say, okay, who are you thinking? And they say, like, I don't know, like Lou Dort and Trey Mann as a package, and the other team says, that's just, that's not going to cut it for us. It's tough, man. Um, but OKC and OG, I think, is a really strong pairing from a, a play style point of view. 
And I also think that they're a strong pairing with Pascal too. But are they going to make that OKC probably with how good they've been without making a trade? They can kind of sit on their hands and wait for who they deem to be the perfect or nearly perfect star to become available, then throw everything at them. And uh, that's that's kind of what I think. OG3 asks if the Knicks might look at Yak after the Mitchell Robinson news. Of course, there's the Dolan hurdle. I have no idea about this. This is something I really wonder about as far as like the Raptors and the Knicks making any deals into the future, near or long-term future, is like these guys are embroiled in a lawsuit. And what I deem to be a petty lawsuit and one that I don't think that the Raptors lose, but it seems to me like that is a huge brick wall to any future dealings. So I assume that the Knicks will look elsewhere. I do wonder how available everyone is on the Raptors. Like when I when I talk to people, when I look at how things are shaking up, I think that the only thing that makes the Raptors relinquish their hold on OG is if OG says like, I'm probably not signing here in the offseason. So that's what could get OG traded out of Toronto. Otherwise, I don't think that's the case. Pascal could definitely get traded. Um, that's those those conversations have happened like every year. Those conversations have heated up prior to this season. Those conversations are being had right now. And Jakob, I think, could get traded too. I think basically anybody except for Scotty. And OG is also probably close to untouchable. As long as he says he will consider re-signing in Toronto. Because they like OG a lot. And OG fits extremely well next to Scotty. And we'll see what happens. But that feels like a podcast mostly. We got like 25, 28 minutes of game story stuff. You know, 15 minutes of trade stuff, roughly. How's the holiday been? Uh, it just started. It's been good. I've been seeing a bunch of family, which is super nice. My brother's sitting right over there. Um, we had a good day of hanging out. And someone mentioned me being like the, the goat at wrapping presents. This is my auntie. I can't wrap presents at all. I've maybe wrapped like I give presents, maybe not as many this year, but I've never been good at wrapping presents, maybe five in my life. So it's not something I've been uh, super good at, but it's a nice tree. It's a nice setup. There's a reason I, I pulled the camera and put it here. But um, thank you to everybody for listening. Whether you uh, listen live and kind of uh, gave the, the feedback or whether you're listening while you're walking the dog in the morning or listening after having like a nice family supper or whatever the hell you got up to. Uh, thanks for tuning in. To the people in chat, thanks for always being engaging, insightful, and thoughtful. It makes these way more interesting to... Uh, Way more interesting to do. Sung Jin Woo says, bald post game, dot, dot, dot. Man is comfortable. I So this is kind of funny. I do think about that because I wear headgear so often. Headgear, hats, uh, beanies so often that when I do go hatless, people always mention it. But I've done so many hatless podcasts that I'm like, surely it doesn't seem like a thing. But the ratio is quite low, right? So, yeah, uh, I am comfortable. Bald post game. Yeah, it's an indicator of sorts. Let's let's dive into that. Um, that's kind of funny. Coco says, enjoy your holidays, Samson. Enjoy your holidays, Coco. Uh, thanks to everybody for jumping in. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, enjoy the holiday season, but I won't say, like, I'll be here talking tomorrow night for anybody who wants to listen. So we'll be back chopping it up. Um, hell yeah. Okay, thanks to everybody for tuning in, whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and... Goodbye. All right. We got a podcast.